it's Pentecost Sunday. And for many of us, we might be going, what is exactly Pentecost? Or what is the importance of Pentecost? Uh, and what role does it play? Um, the truth is, is that it's a day that reminds us of God's continuing grace in providing his spirit to all those who repent and believe on Christ. And it marks the establishment of his church. That's why it's a birthday. It marks the establishment of the church, the Holy Spirit coming upon all those who have repented and believed on Christ. The truth is, is that Pentecost is kind of the forgotten day. Um, we, we focus on uh, Christmas, and we uh, kind of give importance to Good Friday, and we give importance to Easter, Christmas being the birth of Jesus, Good Friday being the day in which Jesus died, Easter being the day in which Jesus rose again, defeating death and overcoming that death, taking our sin, putting it to, 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 to death completely, wiping it away, and then through the resurrection, giving life through Christ for all those who believe. But Pentecost is the day that we kind of move quietly by, I think. Um, and, and I think it's one of the reasons that Francis Chan actually refers to the Holy Spirit as forgotten God. He's often the forgotten part of the Trinity. We recognize the Holy Spirit, we know the Holy Spirit exists, but the truth is, is that he, he's not given kind of a, a preeminent or, or equal place with Christ we celebrate what Christ has done, which is essential, essential for our salvation, but the Holy Spirit is at work. And so, one of the things that we want to do together as a new church, as Redemption Hill Church, is we want to be intentional about celebrating Pentecost, about making that an important part of, of our year every year, that we come into that season the same way that we celebrate Christmas or that we celebrate Easter we want to be able to celebrate Pentecost together. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and the, the Holy Spirit's ministry. And next week, we're going to be looking at another part of that, and then we'll get back into our study and distinctives. But this week, we're going to be looking at ministry of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to be talking about ministry in the Holy Spirit. And so the truth is, is that when we look at Pentecost, and we understand Pentecost, we understand that the giving and the granting of the Holy Spirit is a part of God's grace. It's not simply the work on the cross, but it's his ongoing deliverance of himself to the body of Christ to carry out his purposes. You see, God's given us his Spirit so that we might glorify him as he works his will through our lives. So let's go ahead and take a look at Romans 15 this morning. We're going to be pulling out of Romans 15 and looking specifically at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this text this morning. So let's go ahead and stand together as we read this passage, Romans chapter 15. We're going to be starting in verse 8, and then we're going to be going through verse 21. And this is what it says. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Lycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has filled been not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it's written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Lord God, as we look at the ministry of your spirit this morning, God, we want to thank you for this day. The day in which you fulfilled your promise to bring a helper to those who believe. Your word said, Lord, that it was better for you to go away so that your helper might come. May we grab and understand that this morning. Lord, may we see the life that you desire us to live as we walk in the power of the Spirit. God, may we glorify you with our lives as the Spirit works within us. And Lord, may we be a submitted people. A people, God, who are humble before you. Lord God, this morning, if there's things within our own hearts that need to be settled before you right now, may we just bring those to you right now. May we put them before you, God. Father, this morning, may you just push me aside, and may it be you who brings your word forth with power. God, may it be your spirit that fills us, and Father, may it be your spirit that fills this place amongst our gathering. We ask, God, that your spirit would move powerfully among us, that the enemy would have no place here this morning in the name of Jesus. And that, Lord, that you would go forth and you would speak to the hearts of your people. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The ministry of the Holy Spirit brings unity in Christ and empowers his church to glorify God through the fulfillment of his purpose in our lives. The ministry of the Holy Spirit brings unity in Christ and empowers his church to glorify God through the fulfillment of his purpose in our lives. Ministry of the Holy Spirit empowers so that we might glorify, that we might glorify God. Now, Jesus told the disciples in John 16, 7 through 8, prior to his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. In verse 13, he continues, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now Jesus promises his followers the Holy Spirit. You can imagine that when Jesus is telling this, his death had not even yet occurred, but he's beginning to tell his disciples, listen, I need to get you ready. There's going to be a day where I'm going to ascend to the Father, and I will return for you, but know that you are not alone, that I've sent my helper, and my helper will come, and he will come at the appointed time after I go to sit at the right hand of God. And so that was the promise. And you can imagine just for a moment the disciples were thinking, well, Jesus, you're here. Why in the world, why in the world do we need someone else? And it's amazing. Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things. You're going to reach beyond 
this region that seems so small and so tiny. But he's saying, listen, my followers are going to go into the world. And it's going to be the help with my spirit. And so in Acts 2, we're told of the coming of the Holy Spirit. In verse 1 through 4 in Acts 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This is the believers. 300 believers kind of gathered together. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, the glory of God was no longer residing with the nation, but the glory of God was now residing with his people. The scripture tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, those who have repented and believed on Christ. And the Spirit comes and unifies all those that have repented and believed on Christ. And he empowers them to go forth into all nations. Acts 10, 44 through 45, and we've been walking through the book of Acts, and Ben shared about Acts 2, that day of Pentecost. Well, in Acts 10, that gospel that's going to all nations begins to go out, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to all people. And in Acts 10, verse 44 through 45, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was filling the Jews, is now filling the Gentiles. He's taking that and he's unifying people in his spirit. And now it is this unification, his church, that now is revealing the glory of God to all the world. Not residing in the nation. This church that is empowered now by the Holy Spirit. And so this brings us to our passage this morning. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming, and then the Holy Spirit coming upon both the Jew and Gentile, or all people is the better way to put that. The Holy Spirit being available to all who repent and believe. In verse 7 here it says, of Romans 15, it says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, the Roman church, this church in Rome, was comprised of Gentiles and Jews. And you can imagine that there was still some of this, this, this battle that was taking place a little bit within the church where the Jews were still feeling like, wait a second, we were the, we were the chosen ones. We were the ones that were given the gospel. In fact, we were given the gospel first. The promises were ours. And what they're being told in Romans here is, listen, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See, Paul's desire was for their unity in Christ to declare God's desire, to declare his glory. That's what he wanted. See, when the church is unified in purpose through the work of the Spirit, his glory is being seen. His glory is being made known Ever wonder why church splits are so rough? Because you're ripping at the glory of God. You're tearing at the glory of God. God is not being glorified in the midst of humanistic splits. See, it was in the unity of Christ's church, the unity of purpose, the unity that said, Christ is available to all, and not one of us is worthy. That unity declares God's glory as we walk in him. And so in verse 8, we're given the purpose for Christ's grace. This is what it says. It says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, or the Jews, 
to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now notice that for a second. It says, in order to confirm the promises of the patriarchs. What he's saying here is Jesus came to fulfill the word, to show that God is a God of truth, that he's going to fulfill his promises. And in the fulfillment of those promises, the Jews were glorifying God. And then he goes on and he says, not just that, but it's also, Christ also came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God because of his mercy. Here's the thing. The Jews had been the ones by which were to bring and reveal the glory of God to the nations. And so Jesus comes, and he is the fulfillment of all of what God has taught. All of what the prophets have declared, he fulfills that. He's the fulfillment of a Messiah who will save the world. He's the one that's coming, that's going to take away and wipe away all sin and going to bring righteousness. But then these Gentiles, these were the ones that were on the outside. They're just kind of sitting by looking at these people. In fact, we know from the Old Testament that there were many times that they looked at the, <clears throat> the God of Israel and they looked and there was fear, but they didn't understand what to do. Well, these Gentiles... Christ came now so that the Gentiles might experience his salvation as well. That they might glorify God because of the mercy demonstrated them, not as a chosen people, per se, or a chosen race or nation, but as a people chosen by God to declare his glory. And so what we see here is that Christ came for all mankind to glorify God. Christ came for all mankind to glorify God. It's important we understand that. Because we come up with all kinds of reasons as to why Christ came. We come up with, well, Christ wanted a relationship with us. Well, yes, God desires relationship with us, but he was in perfect communion the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they were in perfect communion. They had relationship. And yes, he has a love for us. He has a love for those that he created. But the truth is that his grace, the work of Christ, while it came to be as a ransom for us so that we might not experience eternal death, the response to that was a life that was glorifying to God. It was so that we might see God's greatness and goodness in his salvation. See, Christ came so that God would be glorified. Christ came so that God would be glorified. And it's easy sometimes to to make Christ be the one that fits our mold. Well, he came to save us. Yes, he did. But he came to save us so that we might see his mercy, that we might see his goodness, that we might see his greatness, that we might see his love, and that in that we might glorify him. That's what his desire is for us. And so notice the progression in verses 9 through 12. These are all passages from the Old Testament, and so... The, these scriptures are being laid out in a way to say, listen, Jesus is the fulfillment. God is a God who is faithful to fulfill his word. And he's saying, listen, I want you to know, I want you to know those of you who are Jewish that are, that are, that are Jews that are sitting in the church that are believing on Christ know that it was God's plan all along to save the Gentile. It was his plan that all, that all would have the opportunity for salvation. And so what we see here is actually a summary of Acts in these next four verses. Notice verse 9, it says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. The Jews were going to go forth and they were going to praise God among the Gentiles. That happened. Samuel twenty-two fifty. 50. 
1 Samuel 22.50, he speaks of this coming. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 22.50, he speaks of this occurring. It goes on and it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Notice the progression. Now the Gentiles will begin to praise God with the Jews at a distance. And then look at what happens next in verse 11. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Now the Jews who were praising God in the presence of the Gentiles, and now the Gentiles who were standing off at a distance, who who wanted to, to praise God, began praising God. And then this progression of the Jew and the Gentile worshiping together. This was the essence of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon his people, it was the beginning of allowing for the Jew and the Gentile to worship together in unity because they were worshiping Christ in the power of the Spirit. And then notice here in verse 12, it says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Directly from Isaiah chapter 11. Christ is the Lord of both Jew and Gentile. It was always God's plan to redeem the Gentile as well as the Jew. He was to bring reconciliation for mankind to himself. See, when the Jews were chosen as the nation that was going to to glorify God, it was not to breed an arrogance or an apathy amongst them. It was supposed to bring humility and obedience But in their flesh, they couldn't do it. In their flesh, apart from the power of God, they could not do it. And there was no way that a nation was going to be the thing that glorified God. Because God's plan is that his church would be the one that glorifies him. Because his church has the power of the Holy Spirit at work within it. Because the church is comprised of those individuals who have repented and believed on Christ. And so, the truth is is that God's plan was for the Jew to share the gospel with the Gentile so that all might believe. And that progression was right there. The progression of the Jew to the Gentile to the Gentile, the unification between the Jew and Gentile, and the fact that Christ is the Lord of both was the very essence of Pentecost. So how does one experience then this unity with Christ? Well, it says here in verse 12, in him will the Gentiles hope. And verse 13 goes on, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may be abound in hope. It begins with a belief in Christ. Before we ever come to Christ, though, guess who's at work? The Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says this, And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So before we ever turn to the Lord in repentance and belief, the Holy Spirit is already beginning to work, regenerating our soul. And we're getting our heart. And so the Romans here, as the Roman church that's being spoken to, they're being reminded of this. And it's the prayer of Paul here that says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So the Holy Spirit's already at work. The fact that you come to a place of confessing Jesus Christ is Lord is proof of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see then in the remainder of this passage is the outflowing work of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that comes into our lives. Why? Not so that we might have more power and boast of it because Tim's tougher than I am or Rick's a better evangelist or You know, Jan is a better person in prayer. I don't know. But the reason that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit is so that God might be glorified. That's why the Spirit came. 
I think sometimes today we look at the Spirit and there's one of two reactions, which is, I don't really know what the Spirit does, and so as long as I just keep doing what I'm doing, the Spirit will do His thing. That's one way. The other way is that we begin to, in essence, test God by kind of putting it all up to the Spirit, meaning, well, if the Spirit wants me to do something, He'll lead me into it. I'll get there somehow. And so it usually is this idea of kind of this apathy on one hand, and this kind of, uh, kind of go-to uh, kind of uh, tool, I guess, would be the best way to put it, that you use whenever you need it. But the key here is, is that Paul's telling us to abound in hope. This is the, the constancy of the Holy Spirit at work within our life. So there's three ways which the Holy Spirit empowers believers to glorify God. The first is hope and salvation. Hope and salvation. Verse 13, right? We've just been talking about that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Why have I repeated that? I've repeated it so many times because that is one thing I believe that in the body of Christ we need is to abound in his hope. The church today, I think, is one of the most critical entities of what takes place in the world. As people despair over things, do they see life and hope in you? As people despair, do they see that you have peace and joy? See, joy and peace are the natural outworking of hope. You can't have joy and peace without having hope. A hope that says, listen, I know that I am secure with Christ. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be hurt in this life. It doesn't even mean that I'm not going to be killed in this life. But it means that God cannot take away or no one can take away my life because God has my life. That whatever happens in this life, I am secure with him Ephesians tells us that when we come to Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit sealing us as a guarantee, as an inheritance, so that we might know it can't be gone, it can't be lost. So there might be a confidence in our salvation. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What was to be produced in our life from our salvation was a hope inexpressible. A hope inexpressible. And the only way that that can occur is through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Listen, apart from the Holy Spirit... We're left with the same exact functioning things that we had before. So, a few years ago, one of the things that I was blessed to receive was a pacemaker, right? This little metal box that sits in the shoulder. Now, this pacemaker came because the bottom part of my heart stopped working. Well, let me rephrase that. I get about seven to eight beats a minute on the bottom portion of my heart if you take the pacemaker out, which basically means that I'm down for the count. I'm technically alive, but I will probably not acknowledge your presence if it continues to go that way, right? I really am alive but dead. That's the best way to look at it. When they gave this pacemaker and they put this pacemaker in here, all of a sudden it matches the rest of the heartbeat that's going on on the top. I can walk, I can run, not real well, that's more a shape thing than anything else, right? But I have functionality, I have the ability to then fulfill or be able to do the things that I desire to do. Well, here's the Holy Spirit. You see, without the Holy Spirit, we're alive but really dead. All we have is salvation, but we're operating under the same fleshly things that we used to do before. 
But when God grants the Holy Spirit, when we receive the Holy Spirit, now we have the living God living within us through his Spirit. And now we're able to do all the things the Lord has called us to do. See the difference? Without the Holy Spirit, we're simply alive but dead. But with the Holy Spirit, we are alive and thriving. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to abound in the hope of our salvation. And he wants us to express that in that joy. Why? Because that joy and that hope brings out and reveals the glorious nature of God. Romans 8, 15 through 17 adds this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is actually testifying to us that we are sons of God. It's one of the reasons that when you respond to Christ and you, you confess Christ as Lord, you repent of your sin and you confess Christ, and all of a sudden one day you, you were having no desire whatsoever to know the things of God, and all of a sudden the very next day you do. It's one of the reasons that we can have hope because the Spirit within us is confirming that we are a child of God. If we have no hope, and we have no joy, and we have no peace, that's actually a time for us to question, do we genuinely know Christ? Because the Spirit is constantly working within us to affirm that we are sons of God if we have repented and believed on Jesus. You ever looked at yourself and said, man, I used to always do this, but that desire is gone. Where did that come from? That comes from the Holy Spirit at work within your life. That comes because the reality of him fulfilling that promissory work that God had given. Stephen Cole says this, a person with the Holy Spirit produced joy is not just a person with a bubbly, optimistic personality. A person with Holy Spirit produced peace is not just a laid-back guy who never gets ruffled at anything. Rather, these are qualities that are not natural. And they do not come from being in favorable circumstances where just about anyone would be joyful and full of peace. In fact, they are most often noticeable when a person is in a situation where almost everyone would be depressed or anxious. But the spirit-filled believer is full of joy and peace in God. I wonder what that would look like today the church stopped jumping on the bandwagon of the world and stopped looking at the world with the same lenses that the world looks at it. And what would happen when the, the rest of the world is going, why is it that the church has so much hope when it seems so miserable? What would happen? The glory of God would be revealed. See, God's intention for his church is to live by the power of the Spirit in the confidence of the hope that we have with Christ. Because when we lose hope, we lose our joy and peace. And so we need to seek him, and we need to remember his promises. We need to seek him and remember his promises. Paul's instruction here was first to know that Jesus came so that the promises were fulfilled, so that they could see God as a truthful God, that his word was to be trusted. And then it was so that the Gentiles might express glory because of his mercy towards them. We need to remember not only the promises that simply say that God is going to fulfill his word, but we need to remember the promises about God, that God is a merciful God. And that whatever he is walking us through in his power and strength, it is for his glory. And if God is glorified, we can be sure, we can be sure that we're where God is desiring us to be. 
God desires that we glorify him right where we're at in the power of the Spirit. The second way is sanctification, which literally means to grow in righteousness, to be set apart, to be made holy. It's this process of growing in righteousness. Notice what it says. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you guys are actually doing it pretty well. I'm not coming in here to harp on you. That's what he's trying to say. Listen, I don't want to discourage you. I'm not here to discourage you. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly or more firmly or strongly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. What he's saying here is, listen, You guys are doing it well, but when I come to remind you to do it, I'm not saying you're not doing it. What I'm saying is this needs to be put before us so that we don't forget it. It's one of the reasons that when we hear God's word, right? I I remember years ago teaching a student in youth ministry, and we got to a story, and he he came to me one time, and he goes, what are you going to teach on today? So I shared with him. He goes, well, I pretty much know every Bible story there is. And I said, oh, really? That's awesome. It's cool. He goes, so I don't really need to listen to you today. That's what his words were. I need to listen to you. And I'm like, great. Um, Outstanding. So I looked at him and I said, well, are you walking in those things? Like, are you you living those things out? He goes, well, no. And I said, well, the scripture is really clear. We need to hear these things. Because we need to be reminded of them so that we might walk in them because our tendency is to fall off the boat and to do it ourselves. I remember after sitting a few minutes with him and talking about a few different stories and taking these Bible stories that he had heard that had been very simplified and worked back through them and we're sitting there and he goes, okay, I'll stay in today. But God desires us to walk in those things. Paul's saying, listen, I need you guys to know something And what I need you to know is that it is important that we walk this out. But more importantly, I've been given a call that those who are walking together might be presented as an offering or sacrifice acceptable to God. So notice this. He tells the the Roman church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct or admonish one another. And then he goes on to remind them that they are to be presented before God as an acceptable sacrifice. Here is the point. The Holy Spirit is at work. He's the one that is sanctifying us so that we might be presented as an unblemished sacrifice. That's what he's wanting. An adorned bride. One that is growing in righteousness When a bride gets married, I have not yet paid for a wedding. I mean, I guess I paid for part of my own. But I've not paid for a daughter to be married yet. Uh, I know, looking at the cost of what our wedding was, the cost of weddings today is insane, right? <laughs> the reason that cost often is expensive even though I would say it's, it's, it's really gotten out of hand, the point is, is that what's trying to be done is this, this beautifying of the process. Seldom do you see a, a bride walk down the aisle in ripped jeans, her hair not done, looking her worst as if she just woke up out of bed five minutes beforehand. In fact, I can say I've never seen that. The reason why is that that special day of the bridegroom and the bride coming together is a day in which the bride is being presented 
and all of her beauty. From that day forth, that couple will age together. They will grow together. In the same way, Christ desires that his bride is presented in all of its beauty, in all of its righteousness. And it is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we are being sanctified, being made more like him, growing in righteousness. And it is only as we are growing in righteousness then that God is glorified in our lives. We're instructed in Scripture not to use grace as a reason to sin. I believe that the reason guys like myself who are walking through high school going, eh, God will forgive it someday. I believe that because of that in my own life of looking at it and saying, gosh, God's grace is a reason to sin because he will forgive, that I grossly misunderstood God's grace. See, if I understood truly that I was a sinner that was unworthy of his grace, that apart from God, I had nothing to offer him or anybody at all. And that if I understood that truly it was his work on the cross, that it was his mercy, that he is still coming to me, offering salvation to me when I don't deserve it, it would have changed me radically. That sanctification process is a process in which we are growing in love by the power of the Holy Spirit as we begin to see that it's only through Christ that we can live righteously and only through the powerful work of the Spirit in our life. 1 Peter 2, 4-5 through says, As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As the body of Christ, our responsibility to one another is to help one another be a spiritual and acceptable sacrifice before the Lord. We are to instruct and admonish one another. We are to be full of goodness and we are to be full of knowledge. In fact, Jesus' prayer for his followers in John 17, verses 15 through 19 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Did we, that's, that's an important piece. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So who sanctifies us in God's truth? Well, that verse that we read this morning is a reflection verse. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to follow. So how are we sanctified? We're sanctified through the Holy Spirit's work through God's word. How are we sanctified? We're sanctified through the body of Christ coming around us and admonishing us and instructing us. We're sanctified through the body of Christ who is empowered by the Spirit through the goodness demonstrated to one to another and through our growing knowledge of God's word as revealed by the Holy Spirit. You ever have a time in the word of God where you're reading and you've been through a passage 25 times and all of a sudden there's something new that jumps out? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is continuing to reveal himself. The beautiful thing about God is that we can never know everything and God is a God who is constantly revealing himself to us. It's one of the reasons that in our relationships with one another, whether that be friendships or husband and wife, whatever it may be, God is a God who is constantly revealing. If we ever get to a point in a relationship with one another where we stop revealing, we need to be seeking the Lord. Because God should be working and needing to work in our lives where he's doing new things and we're learning new things. Sanctification is a work of the power of the Spirit. It does not come on our own. It comes through the Spirit. And so we need to be a people who are submitted to His Word. And we need to be a people 
who are committed to one another as the body of Christ, instructing one another, admonishing one another, and demonstrating his goodness to one another. The third way is through our work and witness. Work and witness. In verse 17 it says this, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that is doing the work of the ministry of proclaiming the truth of God. This work that's being done is being done in the power of the Spirit. And Paul is saying, listen, I am not going to pretend or even rob God of his glory. It's all him. It's all him. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 4, and I want to encourage you to write this verse down. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 4, it says, And I was with you, this is Paul speaking again, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds an awful lot about sometimes sharing God's truth today, doesn't it? If you're at work, if you're at school, if you're on the road, there's many of us in here that can relate to that when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that we know, maybe even our own family members. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. But then notice, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where did Paul go to for strength, for the work of his ministry, for the witness? He went to the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that was working through him, and it was the power of the Holy Spirit at work within him. How often do we really say, Holy Spirit, make me your witness today? How much time do we really spend thinking about how we're going to answer somebody when in reality God just wants us to go and share it? Are we intentional about the gospel knowing that the Holy Spirit's power is within us? I think for many of us who are not natural evangelists, we spend more time thinking about the reason not to do it today than we do knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work within us today. We need to recall and remember that the Spirit is with us and He is the one empowering our witness. I've been amazed in my own life the number of times where I've gone to share my faith and I've tried to do it in my own strength and and I've had some pretty good arguments for it in my own mind and the person just looks at you like you're crazy I've had other times where I felt like a bumbling idiot. And the person goes, yeah, I actually would like to talk to you more. Why? Because it's the power of the Spirit. Our witness is empowered by the Spirit, not by our intellect, and not by our creativity. He is empowered by the Spirit Second Corinthians 1.12 says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. Here's what he's saying. Don't overcomplicate the work of the Spirit. Trust that the Spirit is within you and submit to Him and He will do the work. Boy, it's sure simple and yet very hard. But what Paul was saying was, listen, I came to you in simplicity. The testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. What did he come with? He came with simplicity and sincerity. Here's what he's saying. I came to share with you the gospel because I see your deep need for Jesus. I don't have all the answers, but what I do know is Jesus is the answer to your salvation. And what I do know is that Jesus is the answer for the hope that you've been looking for. 
And in this passage, when it says that he says, I have fulfilled my ministry, the gospel of Christ, what he's talking about is it is complete, it's full. The idea here is that everything that can be said has been said. That's what he's saying. Everything that can be said has been said. The point is this, is that when it's done in the power of the Spirit, there is nothing left unsaid because it's the Spirit doing the work, not you. And so the Spirit knows exactly what we need. Therefore, he says exactly what we need. So, as we wrap up this morning, I just wanted to leave with a brief quote by Francis Chan that's on your paper. And it simply says, the church says this, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were, are not, we're not all, we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. For us as Redemption Hill Church, on this Pentecost Sunday, may we not be a church that's irrelevant, that becomes purely a human creation. But may we each walk by the power of the Spirit where the Holy Spirit truly moves and God is truly glorified. May that be our prayer today, that we walk by the power of the Spirit where the Holy Spirit truly moves and God is truly glorified through hope and salvation, his sanctification, and his work and witness in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that we can stand before you this morning and speak, God, of the gift that you've given us with the Holy Spirit. God, as we go to worship in you right now in responding to your truth, may we see your glory in the Father, the promises that were made through the Son who fulfilled those promises and the Spirit who now allows us to walk in the power of that promise. And we ask this in your name. Amen.